On the Pilot TV podcast this week, we're heading into Ridley Scott's batshit world of robot babysitters in HBO's Raised by Wolves, going back to the loving embrace of Merseyside in Sky's Tin Star Liverpool, and discovering that PowerBook 2 Ghost is in fact not a new generation of MacBook, but rather a continuation of Star's 50-cent produced drama, Power. I'm James Dyer, and welcome to the Pilot TV podcast, a show that is at this point ready to disown all of you after the groundswell of support stating that you'd all heard of Roswell and almost none of you had heard of Rectify, which is, in fact, a shocking indictment of your televisual taste, even as I am advocating a depressing drama about abuse and redemption instead of a cheesy sci-fi romp with William Sadler. But going off brand is, I think, going to be a theme of today's show. But anyway, before we get to that, Terry and Boyd are here. Hello, both. Terry, are you feeling smug about this this rectification? Well, I couldn't um, remember that we'd kind of set people that challenge. So people started tweeting me and I was like, <laughs> what are they all going on about? <laughs> because I must have zoned out at that particular point of the pod. Um, ah. uh, but I mean, James, it is, I don't take any joy in <laughs> constantly being right and you being wrong. None. That's 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 very very big of you. Mm-hmm. None at all, James. None at Excellent. all. Excellent. How are you, Boyd? How's the arm? I the arm. Uh, thank you. The arm is. I'm used to the arm now. It's it's my new normal. Um, it's just yeah. It's. T- I can't totally... help noticing you've had it replaced by a golden arm. Is it the golden arm <laughs> from the Queeby Show? Did you borrow it from Rachel Brosnahan? <laughs> I am making the sequel to the Queeby Show with Rachel Brosnahan. <laughs> yeah. Mine. Mine is a. Uh, no, it's a, it's a tin arm. Uh, it is. But it's an interesting new world. Yeah. The hardest thing to do is to put these fucking headphones on. <laughs> I'll tell you, it's a nightmare every week. It takes me about an hour. Do you have a nurse to help you get dressed and stuff, Boyd? No, if only I did. No, yeah. So that, yeah, I'm getting dressed now. Getting This is fascinating, but um, uh, washing and getting dressed and all that and getting this sling on, um, which used to take me hours in the early days, uh, now is a whole routine. It's absolutely fine. Got it down, got it down to fine art. So yeah, I don't need a nurse. Thank you. For, I do need someone <laughs> to fix my, change my lights though, my light bulbs. I don't know how I'm going to do that. Oh, boy, day. Yeah, but do you know what? I can still watch fucking TV endlessly all day and all <laughs> well, night. There so you go. And it's that's fine. the important thing. Yeah. Speaking of which, what have we been watching this week? So this week, as I'm sure you know, James Dyer was the final of the Great British Bake Off. And um, uh, I'm I'm frustrated. I'm frustrated. Right. First of all, there was a there was somebody not in the final who should have been in the final who had a really great whole bake off, then one poor week and got kicked out. So Hermine was was one of the best bakers in the whole thing. She came top loads of weeks. They used to say that her desserts were the stuff of a top drawer French patissier. And she had one shit week up against a woman who had bad weeks pretty much every week, it's fair to say. And they kicked her out. And if she'd have been in the final, I think it would have been a very, very close run thing. As it was, it actually wasn't that close, I don't think. Peter ended up winning and it was pretty much clear from the get-go, I think, that he was going to win. So you didn't really have, like, the normal jeopardy and the normal, like, oh, it could go to to either of Dave, Peter or Laura. Laura messed up every bake every single time and messed up every bake in the final. And it wasn't, she was not even, they said very openly, oh, she's not even in the running. So 
I don't know. And I think they liked the story because basically he'd grown up watching Bake Off. So when it first started, he'd been a little boy and he became a little boy baker because of Bake Off. And and there's something nice, I suppose, from a storytelling perspective that a boy of Bake Off became the Bake Off champion. But I don't know. I've I've loved this season. I think me and Boyd have talked about the fact it's regained its innocence and its like joy and its purity. Um, Matt Lucas coming in and Sandy Topsky going out. But I, I found the finale underwhelming. Boydie, did yeah, you I like think, it? Well, I think it was close between Dave and Peter. I think that was. They were that, never going to was... give it to Dave. Um, he had a brilliant I think he week. should have won based on the based on what he produced, but uh, it, I don't think Paul yeah. Hollywood liked him. <laughs> Interesting. I mean, I, I I agree with that. I know what you mean, but I still think it was genuinely close um, between those two. But you're right. I think it. Well, I think it was. Um, remember, what's her name as a as a vote as well? It's not just Paul Hollywood. Oh, Paul Hollywood <laughs> totally gets his own way, and her name's Prue Lee. Thank you, Prue Leaf. What's her name? What's his name? With all due respect to the great Prue Leaf. Don't you do damn what's her name. (laughs) (laughs) But you're right. The big scandal was Laura. And I feel sorry for Laura because it's not her fault, you know. But she was like, she (laughs) fucked it up like most of the week. And in fact, there was even a bit in the final when I think Matt or or, or someone pointed out, well, you know, I mean, she screws up a hell of a lot. And you're like, yeah, why why is she in the final, you crazy people? Every single one. And she's... Sorry, yeah. but she always, no, yeah. always, it's the timing thing. So she never gives yeah. herself enough time. And every single challenge, she always said, oh, God, I've really messed up the time. Oh, I'll do yeah. it better next yeah. time. And she never did. And I thought, why would you put somebody like that in the in the finale? Yeah. Because was, the same was going to happen again. It was so weird, yeah. So I I, I, I felt sorry for her, not her fault. But that was just, a, that was, you're right. That was absolutely bizarre decision. But I still, I think overall, it was still, um, yeah, it was it was a great series. I think, but you're right. The final was, was disappointing from that point. But this I was going to cover this in TV news. We might as well say it now. You know, it's the highest rated show in Channel Four history. Yeah, the nine point two million viewers, um, and that's that's just overnight. That's not even people catching up. So it has been an absolute fucking phenomenon. I remember when Channel Four nicked it effectively from BBC One. Everyone was up in arms, and they were like, "Oh, you know, why is?" Mm. Uh, by the way, James's face, listeners. Is, yeah, no. James just, is, are we still doing the podcast? Yeah. I'm just doing other things at this point. <laughs> It's brilliant. It is well, brilliant. But you're going to um, you'll enjoy our Army celebrity talk in a minute as oh, well. Christ. <laughs> but but just to say, James, I think the reason it is valid to talk about is the biggest show on TV right now. But this so, is just a shocking indictment of the British public, surely more than anything else. But also, that's the man who's never fucking watched it. Yeah, that's not and true. Also, I watched an episode once. There was a particularly tense moment with some short crust pastry. It was quite the drama. <laughs> it is dramatic. It is also huge in America on Netflix. So in, in yeah. America, it's on, and it's it's always in the top five on Netflix. That's the whole of fucking Netflix. Ninety million whatever people in America also obsessed with British Bake Off. It's quite incredible. And it's called, it's literally called something different, isn't it? Isn't it? I, yeah, it's a great called, British baking show because Bake Off is trademarked. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's like it is, but it's literally that, yeah. and that's all they think it is. Is this is just a show where British people bake, and they see <laughs> yeah. it as a very cute phenomenon, like we all just stand around in tents baking scones. Exactly. The only time Bake Off was worth watching was when that guy was carrying some kind of 
ganache or something and started quoting Dune, the Bene Gesserit litany against fear. I will not fear. Fear is the mind killer. It is the little death. And no one commentating on the show understood what the fuck he was doing. But I was like, that is genius. Not that I was watching, but when I read about it afterwards, I was like, that Wait is Wait a minute. How'd you, yeah, you must clearly watch yeah. it. You couldn't no, just I was randomly... Told, people came to me and went, oh my God, someone on Bake Off was quoting oh my Dune. God. I was like, You're I must watch a... this clip. James Dyer <laughs> is such a renowned Dune head that he was actually <laughs> told about any, any an yeah. alert. I have a Google alert. alert for anything Dune yeah. Any mention of June in popular culture. That's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, that's absolutely true. Are we, are we, oh, should we just so power I'm on through? Do so the Welsh <laughs> castle. Moving on. So I'm a celeb. <sighs> As we all know, it is not in the jungle. It is in a Welsh castle. Now, so I, this has been a saviour this week. Anyone who um, follows me on social media will know I, I haven't slept because of baby you could have finished existence. the West Wing by now. Well, and this is the problem. <laughs> this All I'm going to say is this is a warning to people. What I should have done when I started <laughs> the West Wing is I should have started it with my baby daddy because then we'd have been in it as a family. Mm. I didn't because I selfishly wanted it to be a pleasure <laughs> for me that had nothing to do with anyone else. And what that now means is... When the three of us stay up all night and don't sleep and it's five o'clock, I can't just say I'm going to put on the West Wing because it's not something we're doing together. So take it from me, dear listeners. If you're going to do this, involve other people so at least you can be selfish, like justifiably, because now I'm stuck not watching the West Wing. But what we have been watching and what's kind of become the highlight of my uh, of my life in lockdown is nine o'clock every night. I'm a celeb, apart from Saturday night, because they have to have their COVID tests and, and check that they're all negative, etc. Um, and again, right, there's something it had its highest ever ratings the other night. I think it was Wednesday night. And I was like, I don't really get why, because there's nobody contentious in it. There's nobody controversial in it. The closest they've come to conflict is... Um, about whether Shane Ritchie was properly cleaning um, the the dishes properly and AJ, who was the ballroom dancer from Strictly, basically insinuating that, that Shane left some muck on. And I think he gave him the dead eye last night. But nobody's fighting. Nobody's got tension. They're all really lovely and sweet to each other. Um, the trials are kind of fine and, and there's definitely been worse. Um, so... I was actually saying last night, oh, God, it's so boring. Like, I just want somebody to fight or I want a bit of drama or I want some action or I want something. Um, But I'm still tuning in every night and there's something weirdly comforting and nice in lockdown at the end of the worst year in living history to just sit and watch a group of celebrities sat in an air-conditioned, clearly centrally heated castle kind of... uh, (laughs) being nice to each other they're all sharing little stories about famous people they've met there's always like Shane Ritchie drops a clanger every day about somebody he once went go-karting with um they're all a bit you know nice and sweet and yeah so on one hand I'm like give me more give me drama give me drama and then the other hand I'm like oh it's quite nice it's it's quite comforting and I could sit here and have a cuddle did anyone quote the Bene Gesserit litany against fear uh, no. Right. What do you think, Boyd? Um, I think it is. I'm. I'm starting to lose a little bit of interest. I have to admit. I, uh, <laughs> yeah. So I. Th- yeah. I'm, no, I'm listening. I did. Uh, there was conflict last night, which I'll be recording this on uh, Friday, and there, on the Thursday night, there was. As you say, there was a little bit of conflict, but 
I think it is. The world's smallest one... conflict. Yeah, smallest, exactly, yeah. But I think um, this does happen to the show, even even in, um, you know, even in non-COVID years when they're actually in the jungle as a normal show. Sometimes they're just, they just do get on a bit too much and it gets a bit boring. It, all of these shows are about conflicts. And I think, I think I know what you mean. I think in these times it feels right that it's, it's lovely watching essentially endearing group. I mean, I find Shane Ritchie intensely irritating, I have to say. Um, but mm. apart from that, an endearing group of, of people getting on pretty well but i'm it's not for me it's it's no longer required viewing at the moment yeah i've, I've i haven't yeah i haven't watched every single episode and i don't feel like but you know maybe it'll come back maybe once, once start the eviction start um tonight towards they, the light so. boy come into the light yeah come into yeah. the light no, it's, still, <laughs> it, it's still something yeah, well, i absolutely are keep keeping up keeping abreast of i think shane rich is our only hope because i think He's kind of there's little edges to him, and I yeah. think he's oh, yeah. got he's got dick potential. Oh, I really do think. Yeah. I think he's got potential to be a bit of a dick. Yeah, like, I agree, yeah. Little ways he's yeah. told what stories. Do you think? Little understand what's happening there? Yeah. <laughs> potential. <laughs> he's got dick potential. Let me tell you. But I think so end potential. Like, okay, yeah, bell end potential. I think if anybody's going to be a bell end, it's oh, going to be him. And there's 100%. something brewing between him and AJ. Yeah, but they're also lovely. Like Victoria Derbyshire is like smart and she's and incredible. Really yeah. clever and really cool, yeah. and then she's Giovanna's like a conflict really resolution sweet. person, isn't she? She's yeah. like she, she she's partly why there isn't any conflict because she keeps she she sorts it out within about seconds before yeah. anything gets. Uh, so she she's like I think the whole keeping the whole thing together in, in the many ways. I mean, they all are decent people, but every yeah. now and then you think they're going to have a, a row about something, and she's like, no, I'm putting this out, I'm putting this fire out. She's an absolutely incredible. Yeah, love her. Yeah. Wow. Um, I'm so glad that that was discussed. Um, have you been Don't watching any proper TV that you know I, is relevant to this yeah. podcast or not? I have been watching. I've been watching um, uh, as I think an increasingly huge number of people have been. The Undoing again. So we were sent. Yes. We were sent. Um, this is the obviously the Nicole Kidman, Hugh Grant ludicrous drama thriller <laughs> courtroom thing that we reviewed um on this podcast and we were sent five episodes of six yes and and but i re i can't and i watched them i did watch i think i watched all of them maybe not the fifth but certainly the fifth was on last week and as we as we do this podcast the finale will be out on monday the day this podcast comes out and honestly it's so fucking riveting and enjoyable and entertaining I, we kind of said it at the time but even more so it's become even more insane ludicrous and yet blissfully blissfully joyous viewing for me i love this stuff like i love over the top who it's essentially now complete who done it because there's about mm. six different people characters in it who could have well, we any major character could have done on it. it when it came out though weren't we like there was Luke no Warm, we gave it a kick in. okay yeah all right yeah, we didn't like it, it is what i'm saying <laughs> i i gave it less of a kick in because i i completely embraced the ludicrous of it. i think you two were like oh yeah it's it's, it's absolutely preposterous bullshit which it is but i love all that so i think it's fine and it is yes it's you know it's filmed like a 80s 90s sex thriller <laughs> fine it's got crazy it doesn't make any fucking sense whatsoever but it's so fun it's so much fun to watch honestly and and, and it has genuinely become a thing like a popular pop culture thing and everyone's trying to guess who did it i think see at the end of the last episode spoiler alert and yet at the end of the last episode there was like a big reveal of a thing and you think oh this don't character's... say what it is no i'm yeah. not That's okay because so I'm, big... wa I'm i'm watching Fine. so there's a big reveal of a thing and you think oh that means this character's done it but actually you think about it and it's like no it doesn't it could all be loads of explanations so every single major character is in play and i love that in the in the final episode 
so yeah, very much looking forward to the resolution of no doubt the no doubt completely insane <laughs> and preposterous re- resolution of the undoing. I tell you what hasn't changed in the undoing because we did kick it, and I just thought it was so absurd and so hyped up and so I mean some of those shots those 90s sex thriller shots we're talking about but the thing that the thing that still I find hardest to grapple with is Hugh Grant because he looks like he's silently screaming in every bit of absurd acting he has to do every kind of preposterous situation he ends up in he looks at the camera and i'm like there's a little hue in there going help me oh god i'm so embarrassed this is so awkward Yeah, no, I know what you mean. It, you see, but what I love about it is you see Hugh Grant doing stuff. Yeah, that you're just not used to him doing. He has to do Never. and run the gamut of app uh, real riot. I mean, there's another. There's a. There's a. Um, how can I put it? Without again, there's a, like a psychological insight into into his character that that arrives in episode five. That you're like, I'm not sure if we can pull this off. I'm not sure if we can actually conceive of Hugh Grant doing the thing that you're suggesting psychologically he is how he is. It is but I find that very entertaining to watch. And Nicole Kidman similarly it's kind of like there's a bit where she's wandering around. She's constantly walking around New York in this massive long, I think, frock coat, people are calling it. There's articles about the coat. <laughs> the coat is massive. The coat is massive. And she's like having hallucinations about stuff. And you're like, what? The, why is this happening all of a sudden? It is fucking insane. Doesn't she remind you of dead calm, Nicole Kidman? Yes. In this? Absolutely. She's very dead yeah. calm. She's in gone this. back to dead calm, which was what, like 20 years ago, maybe? I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the final craziness about the undoing is that theme tune. Nicole Kidman singing Dream a Little Dream. It's so wildly mad and inappropriate. Um, It's bonkers. It's bonkers. I've definitely fallen deep under its spell and I can't really explain it. Um, It's fucking nuts. Yeah, I will will watch this. This might become Christmas viewing for me. I might watch it over Christmas. Oh, yeah. Once it's all done. James, what have you been watching? I feel like... I haven't given you a chance. Do you know, one day, one day I'm going to come on this podcast and I'm going to have done nothing but watch shit reality TV all week. I'll be like, oh, I binge watched 77 episodes of Gogglebox and then I sat down and watched... I can't think of another reality TV show. Somebody throw me a bone. Um, uh, I know. Banged Up Abroad, which I'm sure isn't on TV anymore. But, it, you know. Don't Banged Up Abroad. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, don't Love tell me what the is. I tell you what I have been watching. So, like, Naked Attraction. Oh my oh, god! god. Oh, this my is god. with all the bits that's in it. Whole, that's yeah. a whole can of worms. Oh, no, no I mean, intended. literally. Sometimes literally. I only, um, I only watch that on Gogglebox. So, oh, okay. the, yeah. on Gogglebox yeah. every week, they yeah. put on Naked Attraction, yeah. even though it's the same people reacting in the same way. <laughs> but essentially, you know, it's and it's like you know, you see fannies and you see cocks, and some oh. of them are really hairy, yep. and some of them are really big, and yep. one guy had massive balls. Um, and every week they're newly shocked. But I tell you what, because you'd think that would get old, right? The whole yes. point of Naked Attraction is you see the sex organ first and obviously it says so much about humanity or the lack of humanity and about attraction and about you know socially what we go for in people and what's kind of acceptable and what isn't and and what role actually does character and stuff like that play that basic premise has got that show through for years. And I yep. always thought, oh, at some point that basic premise will wear off because we all understand what you're you're saying by showing the sex organ first. 
But still, people still have the same reaction to it. Oh, it's extraordinary. Yeah, I, I mean, I'm, so, I'm sorry for bringing it up, but the, the, I actually it is. I mean, you know, I, I watch most episodes. It is what I never, I can never ever get over is they find enough people per series mm-hmm. willing to do this thing because they have to find five. Is it I thought finding six, people's even? willings was kind of the point of the show. <laughs> it is, yeah. <laughs> but they have to find people in um, to be picked who are willing to yeah. stand yeah, there naked with all of their bits out in extreme close up. Um, it's yeah. how, who are these people? Unflattering light. Unflattering light. Yeah, it's incredible. There was a woman on once, and she stood there, and she said, and she, she, you know, once you've inspected the other naked people, you get naked. And she stood there, and she went, "Well, you know, I've had a couple of kids, so not everything kind of hangs together anymore." And like pointed at her labia, <laughs> and kind of, which appeared maybe a little bit stretched. And I was like, "Why would you do that to yourself on television?" There was oh, this week. There was a worst story than that. How are so, we I having can't this conversation? I'm not going to say it. I can't say it on a... <laughs> on, no, there was a woman... Who, the picker, the, this woman who was picking, basically said she's 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 a bit scared of ma- men with massive penises because one of them um, tore her anus, basically. I'm saying it. I've said it. You can cut this out if you want, James. How, how has this podcast this once... I was going to say family friendly, I mean, but it never was. How this once... She was like lofty this podcast. Story, she was telling this story like she'd had spilled some tea or something. It was like, yeah, she was incredibly bubbly, like, you know, about it. And it was, um, and that's the kind of thing. So I believe I had one more thing about Naked oh Church. I do think Anna Richardson, the presenter, does a brilliant job. Honestly, I mean, it is one of the most basic things on TV, obviously, yeah. in many ways. But she kind of, somewhere, she is brilliant at it. No, I don't think anyone else in the world could do that job hosting Naked Attraction other than Anna Richardson. Yeah, she makes it not seedy somehow. Yeah, and I'm it's not, incredible. I'm not sure. Yeah, how. it is extraordinary, honestly. There you go, James. So there, sorry, we managed to interrupt you when you were about to tell us your proper TV with a Naked Attraction. Discussion. Listeners of the Pilot TV podcast, all I can do is just, from the bottom of my heart, apologise for this nonsense you've had to listen to for the past 20 minutes. Yes. So I've been Sorry. watching actual TV shows, you'll be pleased to know, so that's nice. Uh, I've been pressing on with Warrior, which I'm enjoying enormously. I think we're two episodes from the end of the second season now, and it's so fucking good. It's really, really good fun. Loads of stuff is happening. The fight sequences are epic. They've had their obligatory road trip episode, which was loads of fun. And and there's a particularly, particularly unpleasant amputation scene in, I think, episode A, which I found very, very hard to watch. Um, but also, I would point out that Kieran Bue, who plays Bill O'Hara on the show, uh, someone must have sent him the podcast because he tweeted to say thanks very much for saying nice things about it. And then, and then Diane Doan, who plays My Ling, also tweeted about it. And then Jonathan Tropper, the creator of Banshee himself, tweeted <laughs> that he was very pleased that we liked the show. Uh, I, I, we can now retire. Like the show, oh, your dreams have yeah. come true. We have that peaked. We have peaked. So yes, very much enjoying Warrior. I do do very much encourage people to press on with that. It's very very good. What else have I done? So obviously, having finished uh, Counterpart, I was looking for something else. So I watched Warrior. I watched the first episode, boy, based off our conversation last week of The Bridge, specifically the FX oh. Bridge with Diane Kruger. Just to kind of because I never watched it, and I thought, oh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll sit through this. It seems to. I don't know how closely it sort of skews 
or is it going to skew to the original Broen? Um, but she certainly has a lot of uh, saga in her, uh, her character, Diane Kruger's character. I think it was very close to start with, at least, I'm pretty yeah. sure, yeah, from yeah. what I remember. Yeah. It's a, yeah. it's a nice bit with Matthew Lillard and a bomb in a car. Uh, but yeah, I, I, I'm enjoying it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to watch a bit of this, see how this goes. Uh, Star Trek Discovery has been heating up nicely as well. A couple of great episodes of that recently. Uh, so that's been good. Terry, of course, you will have been keeping up with Star Trek Discovery well, religiously. All over yeah. it. It was great. Were you very, very happy to see Book and Grudge back? Both of them. Yes. yes. Grudge more so than Book. <laughs> She's a queen. Um, also, 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 Mandalorian had an extraordinary episode on Friday. I say on Friday, meaning today, but obviously when this goes out, it will be Monday, uh, in which we find out the name of Baby Yoda. I and heard about this. That's what I'm going to say. Oh, do you I think it's a yet. good na- Do you think it, the name is right? Well, funny you should say that, Terry. To find out the answer to that question, do subscribe to the Empire Spoiler Special Podcast at glow.fm slash empirefilm, whereupon you can hear me and Chris and Helen O'Hara and uh, Ben Travis, Baby Yoda himself, uh, discuss what we thought of this show. So, you know, go and do that. <laughs> <laughs> I've also been watching some other things as well, but frankly, this podcast has been going for half an hour and we haven't even got into the show yet. So I'm saying let's press on. Now, I mentioned off-brand opinions earlier, which brings us to this week's listener question and a tweet that I put out early this week declaring an intention to watch the new Taylor Swift folklore film on Disney+, Plus, which caused me to have to mute all mentions on Twitter as the Taylor tribe somehow rallied around me and embraced me <laughs> As one of their own <laughs> even to the point where like my little private army they were being they were sicking on anyone who was criticizing me and terry you made an ill-fated sarcastic remark and got mobbed didn't you well yes because as you know i love taylor swift and <laughs> i'm a big fan of that record and was very excited about this film but as anybody who knows you a bit knows james you are a one trick pony that trick is uh, <laughs> film and telly of a particular vibe you don't do music as we've talked about multiple times. So you tweeted about how this was your album of the year. And I said, how can it be your album of the year when you don't listen to music? Somehow the Taylor Swift fans thought I was dissing Taylor. And one went, honey, he's been listening to music right like you haven't been listening to music in your entire life. And I was like, honey, I love, love, love that album. And, And then she went, oh, well, this is good news. And then someone else came in and went, hun, you better had to. And all the American Taylor people who all have pictures of Taylor on Twitter, um, yeah, you've got yourself a new little... um a new little army. They are terrifying. But they I really presume are. they're also on their way to murder me right now. I'm quite frightened of them, actually, even though I appear to be one of them at this you stage. I'm an honorary, like, mayor or something. I don't know. But I got a small glimpse of a genuinely terrifying sort of slice of internet fandom. Like, I thought the DCEU dude bros were quite scary. Yeah. But, oh, I, my Christ. No. I said to you, they've no. got nothing on the table yeah. stands. I've they... never seen anything like it, like, genuinely. And I've dealt with a lot of fandoms, but I've never seen anything like this. Just, like, the weird sort of, uh, I got these block caps replies on twitter saying taylor swift pretty taylor swift genius taylor and it was just like is this the mantra is this the creed is this the way like how does this work <laughs> like, this the way? <laughs> <laughs> i feel like i'm being inducted into a cult it was i mean it was quite terrifying but uh, but the reason i bring this up is of course ryan bodell one of our listeners uh, mentioned that he thought my liking taylor swift's folklore and saying that that was my album of the year was the least on-brand opinion he'd ever seen a person express, which prompted him to ask, what 
are our off-brand TV likes and dislikes? And I thought that was a particularly nice question, so we have embraced that. So, Boyd Hilton and Terry White, what are your most off-brand likes and dislikes in the world of TV? Well, I think this question is very much aimed at you, James, because uh, let's face it, let's face it, you are the one that has the most strident um, devotion to certain genres of television and the most ludicrously kind of blinkered and closed-minded attitude to other genres of television. So it's literally, this, honestly, this That's question is literally like you. Yeah. Hang on. And whereas me and Terry, Terry and I are perfectly happy with all genres oh, and we talk that's about not we are. True. You, there's nothing off brand for you. There is literally no. nothing off brand for you. I mean, but there Terry exactly. definitely has. I, I don't know if there Terry is, well, is we'll the yin out. to my yang. Like I like all to right. think that all the things I love, Terry has absolutely no time for. And all Maybe, the things all right. she loves, I absolutely hate. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> You're right about like nerdy sci-fi, which which yeah, you're right about that. Maybe, maybe, but oh, you're right. It's hard for me because I don't particularly hate any genre of TV. But so my answer to this question is: people might not think or th that I like certain things, but I've have mentioned this before on the podcast. But my main one that is a new thing, a newish thing, certainly this year, is the chase. Is the ITV oh, daily back to this shit again? <laughs> yeah, early evening game show, the chase, hosted by Bradley Walsh. Which is I'm obsessed with. I record That's every not episode. Off brand. This is, couldn't be more on brand. It for you is. Ever tried. That is not off brand, Boyd. It's, it's well wildly on brand. Then I, mean, I wouldn't be surprised if you presented the fucking show. <laughs> Boyd, no. it's populist. It's yeah. fun. It's like you know, it's so boring. Really good. My baby Boyd, loves well, the chase. No, I'm gonna I'm gonna stay oh, here, Boyd. I think I think off brand for you is when you yeah. truly venomously hate a TV show. That is uh, off yeah. brand for you. So right. what I want to okay. know, Boyd, is what TV shows do you absolutely hate in a kill it with oh. fire kind of way? Right. Well, that's a different question, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. But okay. that's I'll what's come, off come brand. back to me. All right. We'll come okay, back yeah. to you, yeah. Terry. Because yeah. your, your brand is love. Your brand is yeah. love for everything. <laughs> come to the dark brand. side, Boyd. What do you hate? Well, okay. So I suppose, because I was thinking about what, to your point, James, the stuff I'm perceived not to like. But I suppose <laughs> something like, I was always surprised that something like The West World, I actually... The West the World. The West World. <laughs> the West calling it that shows, right? <laughs> that, Love the West World. I was looking at something else on my computer and I wasn't paying attention. Um That I love West World because in, in its proposition, it shouldn't be for me and i'm sure you know something of this ilk may come up when we talk about one of the shows this week but you know i'm not into meta geeky cold sci-fi is what i'll call it mm -hmm. um and i loved westworld and and it's think of small aberrations i think for me like that because i i do i have to say I'm very aware that I can be a very black and white person. I can be a very binary person. And I tend to make sweeping generalizations about an entire thing because I didn't like one thing. <laughs> I am I am aware of the flaws in my character, and that is one of the flaws in my character. I have to confess that. And I've often dismissed entire genres of of television and film because of this. So I've tried over recent years to be much more um, open to things. But, you know, because you may have thought that West Wing was, like, not me, but actually West Wing is very me because it's um, exceptional writing and it's that um, tale of the week. And, and, and there's lots of things that make the West Wing very much in my world. Um, so, yeah, I think that's what's off-brand for me is is 
definitely genre-based stuff. Hard, hard sci-fi, hard sci-fi, soft but sci-fi. What have you liked that's in that zone? Like, so I do remember when you saw the Expanse, and you were quite surprised when yes. you saw the last that you actually quite liked it. Discovery. I would yeah. like every time I watch Discovery, I love it. I loved Picard, um, and I loved Westworld, and all these things. I think on the surface would not be for me because sci- I used to have a like an I hate sci-fi that used to be mm. my thing like I hate sci-fi but actually the best sci-fis have all the ingredients of a great human drama right and that's kind of what I'm into Mm. That seems fair. That seems fair. Like weirdly, I found this podcast has has broadened my mind mm. somewhat in these things because I have been forced while kicking and screaming to watch things I never would have done otherwise. Yeah. Like you couldn't have paid me to watch. Like like for example, the I Am series uh, that mm. uh, Dominic Savage did last year, like which was an extraordinary piece of television, and I absolutely love. But I wouldn't have necessarily watched it otherwise because I'd have seen, oh, it's you know, it's about abuse, specifically the Samantha Morton episode. Yeah. That's my kryptonite. It's depressing. It's upsetting. It's miserable. Like I don't like that kind of stuff. And yet it's so good and it's so compelling. I found it, I just thought it was magnificent. Um, so I think that's that's definitely off-brand when I when I end up watching things like that. Like Normal People, I wouldn't say it's necessarily off-brand for me, but Normal People was a show that I was thought was like tr- transformationally good. I thought it was extraordinary. Mm. I wouldn't say it's wildly off-brand, but normally that's the kind of emotion I reserve for the new Star Trek series. But I think weirdly for me, it's more the opposite. It's what's the stuff that I should like but don't. And that always brings us back to Doctor Who. It's like I don't understand why Mm. I don't like Doctor Who because I should like Doctor Who. And I think we maybe in the recent sort of exploration where you got me to watch episodes, I think we maybe cracked the main point of inaccessibility for me is the fact that it is broad and it's aimed at a young audience. And for me, like that kind of because it's partly a kid's show, I think that's what alienates me from it. And I think tone is a real thing for me, and I like science fiction that takes itself really fucking seriously. <laughs> and I can't be dealing with stuff that doesn't. I'm like, You're a sci-fi snob. I am. I'm a sci-fi you are a snob. sci-fi snob. Yeah. Because if it is, I enjoy accessibility. I enjoy um, not feeling intimidated by television. You enjoy being <laughs> part of the intimidation, yes. don't you? I'm massively elitist and sneering. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think that's what I want. You know, I want the sci-fi to be to be to to really like it. It's the world and the mythology, and I want it to 100% take that shit seriously. You know. The weird, but the weird thing is that the Stephen Moffat era, you is absolutely yeah, all of I that. Know. That's why you should you should just dive in because it's it, all it's meticulously e- complex stuff about yes, time the, and how it works. Yes, and- Stephen Hawking would have loved the timey wimey explanation. <laughs> I think he would have been particularly <laughs> impressed by that. In fact, I think I might have read it in a brief history of time. <laughs> but timey wimey was Stephen Moffat's li- nice little colloquial, jokey way of dealing with the fact that he's fu- going into an extraordinarily complex. Mm. Um, discussion of time in his era of Doctor Who, and that's that. That was his way of kind of getting away with it in a way was to do so. Oh, to say, oh, it's t- all the timey wimey stuff. But actually, when you when you watched it, it was densely packed with quite complex ideas about it, which people complained about. People were angry about how difficult and complex it was. Um, but it, it definitely was. I think you'd I think you'd like it. We've said this before, but that era particularly, you'd, I just, you'd like I it. Just, I struggle. I do struggle. But when it comes to normal people, you see, that doesn't surprise me because the other thing people may not know about you at first is that you are a absolute ardent romantic. So, you know, you and I <laughs> have had true. the debate about Titanic many times. Yeah. 
and about the film you called Titanic Amongst the Stars <laughs> many times. And, you know, you are you are a, a in many ways a traditional romantic. So normal people, I wasn't surprised mm. by that at all. But if people maybe knew you as elitist dickhead sci-fi guy, <laughs> then maybe that does surprise them because you have complex brand is what I'd say. Yeah, it is. My love of teen movies as well. I yeah. always says I have the film taste of a teenage girl. Um, but of course I'm now, you know, I'm now considered one of the teenage girls by the Taylor Swift tribe. So, you know, that's, mm. that's mm-hmm. handy in that respect. Um, but uh, yeah. Okay, Boyd, have you thought of a thing you hate? Yeah, I'm just, I mean, it's kind of, it's just a completely different question in a way. Like the question really I'm now thinking is like, you know, a, a, a thing I hated from a from a creator or like a showrunner or writer or whatever that, f- who I'd normally really love. So I'm thinking like David Simon stuff, like who created The Wire, mm. right? I think his post-Wire stuff is is variable. And, you know, and so for Treme, remember Treme, yes. which was yes. his series of New Orleans? Yeah. I thought that was so boring. I yeah, could not I get on with that show with that, it has to be said. Yeah, but people love it. People worship it. And you, so there are shows like that that I'm like, no, it's quite tedious and boring. Even Generation Kill I didn't love, which was the soldiers mm. um, one. Um, he's, he's like, I think he goes for meticulous authenticity. That's his thing. Yeah. Like, he creates an authentic universe in all these worlds. Even The Juice, like which is about, you know, porn and sex in uh-huh. 70s, 80s, New York and stuff, which is fascinating. But even that, it was like, sometimes it's like propel the narrative more, you know. He's very, it, 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 so I, I, I do have an issue with some of David Simon's stuff. That, so that, that would be an example where you'd think I should really love it because it it's, you know, it's the kind of quality, excellent TV. But sometimes it's just boring. Sometimes it's too boring for me. Um, so that's an example. I also do hate Mrs. Brown's boys, but that's, I think, we had that discussion, didn't we? With, who did we have that discussion with? Um, one of with Phelpsy. Phelpsy came on. Phelpsy, yeah. And ardently who, defended Mrs. Brown's mm, boys. Very, yeah, very, absolutely. You know, and, and I've, I've tried, totally felt you know, I've tried with Mrs. Brown's boys because I should, because uh, uh, mainstream TV comedy and sitcom is, is absolutely my thing, but I, I, he, I find him as Mrs. Brown intensely annoying and I can't go, get over it. And, mm. um, so yeah, so that there's loads of things I don't like, but those those are two examples. Yeah, <laughs> there are some things that Boyd thought were less than a hundred percent brilliant, and you know that's yeah. a controversial statement I know, but it has happened. Well, uh, Ryan, I hope that has answered your question. Uh, if you would like your question answered on the Pilot TV podcast, then do feel free to hurl it at us either at me at James C. Dyer on Twitter or Instagram, or to at Pilot TV Pod, probably by direct message, uh, because that's really the only way I'm going to see it on there. Right. Shall we move on to this week's news, or I should probably point you towards the gaping vacuum where news should be, because it's been the Thanksgiving week and not a lot has happened. However, we have not been completely devoid of news, have we, Terry? Because we learned that Amazon has renewed The Expanse for a sixth (laughs) and final season. So there's a double-edged sword there. So the fifth one, which we're just about to get, will not be the last. There will be a sixth. That is exciting. But that sixth will be the final season. And that on the one hand great more expanse on the other hand not enough expanse because they're, they're obviously it's based on on the novels by james s.a Corey, who is actually not a real person but an amalgamation of two writers but um there are a number of novels that have yet to be mined so it seems that they're going to be skipping over some bits and so we will not be getting every inch of the expanse story but i don't know whether this is actually connected to the fact that kaz anvar who plays Alex on the show will not be returning for season six. If you recall, he got uh, swept up in some, shall we say, Me Too allegations. 
questions. I don't know quite where they fell in terms of, I mean, obviously not well because he's no longer with the show. So he's been ejected from The Expanse because that he will be in the new series, which we'll be seeing in a couple of weeks because I think that had already been shot. But Alex Kamal will not be returning for season six. And uh, I, I seem to recall that the, at the time when those allegations came out, Dominic Tipper was quite vocal about saying, we need to listen to these things. You know, this will not be brushed under the carpet. We will be taking this very seriously. So they clearly have done as well. But The Expanse will return. And that really is the big takeaway here, even if it is just for one last series, which I'm guessing we'll probably see at the end of next year. Uh, yeah, whatever. Talking about <laughs> talking about on brand, um, there has been an announcement from Channel Four that Jack Thorne has written a new show with Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer called mm. Help. Um, and this is this was actually, I think, something that Stephen Graham took to him an idea he took to Jack Thorne like two years ago or something. Um, and it says it's set in a care home in Liverpool and it tells the story of a relationship between a worker in the care home who is Jodie Comer and a patient um, paid by Stephen Graham and it's really about how their lives are changed by um, COVID so really timely I think um, actually it can't have been two years ago or maybe oh, I think they were working on this story and then obviously it kind of took on a new resonance with the pandemic I mean mm. you know we talk about Jack a lot on this show um, what an incredible writer he is Stephen Graham and Jodie Comer are two of our, our best actors. I think it will be incredibly powerful, um, probably completely heartbreaking. Um, and of course, in an on-brand sense, I cannot wait to see it and be miserable. <laughs> Yeah, I was about to say, this couldn't be... It's like he's written this just for you. In fact, he may <laughs> well know. have done. He may well have done. And it's going to... Um, it's not started shooting yet, um, but it's going to start filming early next year, I think. Exciting. Uh, there's some Joss Whedon news. Joss Whedon has left The Nevers, which was his uh, his new show that he was putting together, which had Nick Frost, Eleanor Tomlinson, and a bunch of other people in it, Ben Chaplin. And it's, it's, it's a slightly warm, odd one. So he... HBO put out a fairly neutral statement just saying they parted ways and kind of wishing him the best as it were and he issued a statement basically saying he's exhausted and therefore is stepping back joss whedon's had an interesting time in terms of public image over the last few years uh there was uh, some some personal life incidences we should say as i censor myself for the sake of legal counsel uh, and then of course there was the justice league stuff that came out um i think it was earlier this year wasn't it mm -hmm. about uh, how he was in the of justice league so Yes, interested to see what happens with this. I mean, the show is going ahead. We will still see the nevers. Uh, it will just never be with Joss Whedon. Christmas TV. Christmas TV. Announced. Oh, Christmas TV. Christmas Boy, TV highlights. Tell us what can we expect over the festive season? Yeah, so this week, um, the very first version of the Christmas TV uh, fortnight schedules came out. They'll, they'll be revised over the next week or so. And um, uh, BBC and ITV and all the main channels revealed their kind of main things that they've got coming up. There are, there's a couple of dramas and comedies. There's Black Narcissus is a three-part new version of that story that was the 1947 film with Deborah Carr. And now it's got um, uh, Gemma Arterton mm. as the sister Cloda. And um, Mother Dorothea is played by Diana Rigg in one of her last roles, obviously the late Diana Rigg. Um, it looks, from what I've seen, it looks lavish and and very well made and all of that. It'd be interesting to see that story told over three parts. That'll be on kind of between Christmas and New Year. There's a new episode of Motherland, a Christmas special of Motherland. Not sadly, the... not Fort Salem, the <laughs> shouty witches show, which I love. 
Yeah, but the brilliant um, uh, comedy about parenting, uh, co-created by um, Sharon Horgan and her friends, and um, that is back. And I love Motherland, and that's back for a special. The big New Year um, drama on starting on New Year's Day almost certainly is The Serpent. I think for, I think that's been confirmed with um, uh, Tahar Rahim and Jenna Coleman, and it's a true story of Charles Sobraj, chief suspect in the unsolved murders of up to 20 Western backpackers travelling across India in the 70s. And that's like an eight-part epic serial starting on New Year's Day. There's a special of Ghosts, which we reviewed, I think, mm. the, the first... BBC uh, sitcom, the of the, Charlotte Ritchie. Yeah, the BBC sitcom, which but there's also a spoiler special for that I did with um, yes, indeed. Uh, Chris. Which yes. you can find alongside the Mandalorian spoiler specials on the spoiler special. Exactly, page. exactly. Um, David Walliams has created a spin on Jack and the Beanstalk um, with him and Sheridan Smith, which is very entertaining. That's like a family thing that I've seen, which is really good. Um, there's a Wurzel Gummidge special, which was very highly regarded last year. Hold Mackenzie me back. Crook's reboot of Wurzel Gummidge. Um, and there's a new special of that. And there's Bake Off specials, past contestants competing. Um, uh, terribly pleased to know uh, All Creatures Great and Small Channel 5 is the most popular show ever pretty much uh, when it launched this year there's a special of that and uh, yeah and Bridgerton starts on Christmas Day on it Netflix does, yes the epic um, uh, period romp for which we spoke with or I should say for which you spoke with Nicola Coughlin this week and we were putting that up near the time indeed oh and I should mention comedy fans King Gary is really good um, that's got a Christmas special oh and Doctor Who did I mention Doctor Who you did not Doctor Who, Revolution of the Daleks is the new festive special. Now, I thought originally that this was going to be on Christmas Day because last year, last couple of years, last year it was on New Year's Day, but I think at the moment it is on New Year's Day again, but it is a Dalek-based uh, thing. And um, John Barrowman is back as Captain Jack. You'll be thrilled to know, I am thrilled. James, because as you've explained, you're a huge Doctor Who fan. That's He, he was in the Torchwood thing, wasn't he? He was in the Torchwood thing. He were, he, his uh, character was brought back very briefly um, in the last series of Doctor Who, probably to remind viewers of his existence, that he's around. And now he's going to take quite a central role, I think, in this episode because the Doctor is in jail as the episode begins. So I think Captain Jack is going to be running around doing a lot of action stuff with the Doctor's um, uh, companions. Oh, okay. And hmm. just to be clear, so Torchwood was one spin-off. There was another spin-off, wasn't it, with kids or something? There's a few, yeah. There are a few spin-offs. Oh, okay. Yeah, uh, more, more children's TV spin-offs, yeah. Yeah, there's one called Class, which was quite good, actually. It's kind of like a YA one, which I think only lasted one series, though, um, which I liked, actually. Um, and more, and there were more children's ones as well. Oh, oh yeah, the Goes Wrong Show. I love the Goes Wrong Show. Did we ever review the Goes Wrong Show? I might have to force you, you two to watch the Goes Wrong Show. It's so brilliantly done. Doesn't sound Slapstick. like a proper show. It's a brilliant show. You know the Goes Wrong Show? They've been a huge success on stage. Um, the play that oh, goes yeah, wrong. Yeah, plays the goes first. Wrong. Yeah, so yeah, I know what that is. Yeah, yeah. Their TV thing is honestly, it's brilliant. They're so clever. Is it an so actual smart, show or is it like a sketch-based thing? No, they do one. They do. It's like a Amdram. It's like a um, Amdram. Imagine it's like the, the 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 conceit is like you're watching an Amdram production of a story. Right. So each episode is a different genre. So this one, the Christmas one, is a nativity story told by incompetent Amdram people. But it's so funny. It's so brilliantly. It, they they take it to the absolute heights of visual and verbal comedy. So that's I'm really excited about that. Do you know what I'm excited about, Paul? What are you excited about? Craig Jane? Mason's The Last of Us has got an official series order at HBO. I didn't really have any doubt this would happen, but I'm very, very excited to hear it confirmed. So it's been in development for quite some time, uh, but it now, as I say, has been officially given the 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 series order, and it, Craig Mason's working on it with uh, Neil Druckmann uh, from Naughty Dog. And I, I appreciate that this is something that neither of you will care about, because, let's be honest, you don't play video games, but this... 
Last of Us Part 2 was my favourite game of the year. Last of Us Part 1 is probably my favourite game of all time. And this show, I, I'm, I'm at once incredibly excited about, but also slightly scared of, because I love the story and the actors and Ashley Johnson and Troy Baker's performances. And to see them played by other people will possibly upset me. But equally, it might just be the best thing ever. So... This 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 is very very exciting. And Craig Mason of Chernobyl fame. That's so, right. I yeah. mean, that is right. He's yeah. Mm. He's made the most probably the most awards garlanded, highly yes. acclaimed TV show of the last like decade. Which is why I wasn't all that worried about it getting a series on. <laughs> I was like, you know, if he wants right. to make a series yeah. about drying pain, yeah. I'm fairly he certain can do HBO fuck he wants. Do it, so. <laughs> yeah, yeah. <laughs> Um, less excited to hear Kevin Dillon in a kind of offhand conversation on the internet mentioned that they the Entourage creator is considering a revival. I cannot think oh. of a show less in need of revival than Entourage. Yeah, same. Mm. And there's a show I don't like. Never liked Entourage. See, I really. didn't mind so, it at the time, but it has aged probably worse than any other show on television, I would say. Uh, and the recent yeah. films were not great either. But I, d I don't know how you salvage that idea and not make it really yuck. Any other news no. before we shut down this segment? No, I think that's it. No. Okay, fine. Well, that is it then for news. Let's move on to this week's reviews. And we begin this week with the rather inaccessibly titled Power Book 2 Colon Ghost, which is a spin-off of Star's popular long-running show Power, focusing on the son of that show's main character in the aftermath of its finale. Now, confusingly, the star of the original series was called Ghost, but he's not in this series, which is called Ghost. He is, in fact, dead. So this series should probably more accurately be called <laughs> Power Book 2, The Ghost of Ghost, but it's not. It's just <laughs> called Ghost, even though Ghost is not in it. Clear? Right. We're getting ahead of ourselves anyway. This really does require you to have seen at least some of power, as I understood precious little of what was going on from watching this. Boyd, please explain. Well, there is a recap um, at the start of this of, of the first episode of Power Book 2, Colon Ghost Your Eyes, the worst title. <laughs> it is the worst title ever. It's so confusing. Um, and not only that, but Power Book 2, Colon Ghost is, is going, had part one, and then there's a gap, and then there's part two. Oh, so there's God. part two of Power, <laughs> Power Book, Book 2, Book Ghost. Power Book 2, Colon Ghost, part one, and Power part Book 2, two Colon yeah. Ghost, part two. But oh. as far as I can make out, basically, because I haven't watched any of it before <laughs> at all, I have to admit, Power, etc. Although it's a huge, by the way, this is a huge um, thing in very, very popular in America, particularly. Yes, it is, um, and it stars most successful yeah. show. Yeah, so it it's is, a really yeah. big deal. Um, yeah, Fifty Cent co-produced, as you say. Courtney A. Kemp created it, and it's 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 really really popular. Mary J. Blige is in it. You know, it's a huge deal, really. Method Man, yeah. all these all these kind of iconic figures are in it, and and so this one, it's kind of the focus now is on Michael Rainey Jr. as Tariq, who's going to so he's getting into he's into college so he's going to university some studying you know some quite highfalutin literature and philosophy etc at the same time he's dealing with um with drug drug dealing and gangs uh, he's dealing with the fact that at the end of the the, the the premise is that some someone shot his father and was it his mother or was it his mother and someone else or was it him or was it various lots of candidates for that so that's a kind of ongoing mystery element of it and there's also a whole kind of like his mother's going to be is, is going to be accused of the crime and there's a whole kind of American justice system element mm. to it a bit like the show we did last week for life dealing dealing with similar subject matter um I this it's a really weird show I think this one because it doesn't really fit ne neatly into any genre no, it it's like a weird jumble mm. of of legal thriller gangster drama and so YA <laughs> So and college soap. drama, and it's very, very soapy. Yeah, so it rattles along at a spectacular pace. Incident, like it's packed 
packed with incident. Within that, it manages to get in some totally gratuitous sex moments. Like the young guy stumbles into his roommate having sex with someone yeah. about three times. I mean, how how often can that happen? It's extraordinary. And there's they go to like a strip joint and they, that so cliche, the ultimate cliche of every single gangster whatever film ever of a conversation happening while strippers female strippers obviously are getting their breasts out in the background it's such a cliched moment that is there the treatment of women i think is is questionable mm -hmm. i think there are like slight leering moments about uh, of, of women in the dutch but it's created by a woman cornea kemp is a woman and um uh, some of the directors are women so it's interesting um it's pulp it's pure pulp it's absolute kind of over the top nonsense but i kind of enjoyed it while it was on and it and it and rattles along as i said i think some of the acting is questionable i have to say it i'm is. not convinced yeah. necessarily yeah. by michael rainey jr and he's the lead role i think he's been in it a long time so from 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 the recap from what i can make of the recap you know has been in it from when he was younger now he's like a teenager late teenager whatever i wasn't convinced um i think he was okay in some moments but i think he's a little bit of a wiggly which considering he's the lead role in this series <laughs> is an issue i think but there was some kind of weird moments there's like sometimes victor garber's in it who i love in everything as this like yeah. um college guy who runs this college and they have debates about like you know moby dick and great and works american literature and <laughs> camus and stuff it's so it's such a weird mix camus one minute next minute someone's shaking someone's getting shot in the face like it's quite violent shot in the face, yeah a, a spectacularly violent um you're right climax so it's like because it's on stars slash stars play here, they can get away with the most ludicrous over the top sex swearing and violence for a very soapy mingling of genres. So in the end, I was like, I don't really know. I mean, I don't think I pro it's not exactly going to rush to carry on watching it, <laughs> but I enjoyed it while it was on. Now, Terry, what did you make of Power Book 2, colon, Ghost, given that you, in fact, have seen an episode of Power to interview Fiddy himself? Uh, so I don't know why you're not reviewing this, actually. Yeah, first. well, so let me be clear that I've seen, I saw one episode um, several years ago. And yeah, I did, I did interview 50 Cent, um, and he's been involved since the beginning. I think it's been going, what, six or seven years? Yeah, and it is yeah. a massive massive deal in the states don't think it's ever had the same cut through here but it is i mean we say this about things um often when we're picking up several seasons in is this is impenetrable without having a working knowledge of what's come before because you don't understand any of the stakes you don't understand any of the jeopardy you don't understand who anybody is um but if you just take it on this episode which is all we can do as we um review it I agree on the performances, kind of. There's, there's something there with Michael Rainey Jr., but it, it it's whether he really has it to hold the entire thing, which he kind of has to as that character. And there are moments where it doesn't quite work. Those sex interruption scenes and were just awkward, and I couldn't tell if it was meant to be funny. Like the t I found the tone dead confusing. Mm. At times, and I, th I think you know, there's there's an ambition. What I respect is there's a clear ambitious ambition behind this. So Courtney Kemp, you know, I, th I read an interview where she was talking about how um, we're going on about the names, but how she sees this world of power like the MCU. 
So, you know, it's, I think, stars. <laughs> I'm, but I'm not even joking. And stars recently <laughs> talked about having a, a third spin-off series mm. and a fourth spin-off series. And she's talked about how she wants it to be a universe like the MCU. Um, and, you know, I think there's one that's going to be Power Book 4, colon, The Force. And it's, oh, I mean, this on. is not about to get any less confusing, is what I'd say. So, but I do think, what I do think it's important to say is that, you know, this is a hugely commercially successful as far as i'm aware um uh universe or whatever we're calling it universe of the power which is um primarily african-american cast and creators and execs um and i think that is what makes it have this um really engaged um and really big audience in america and you know i I won't continue watching it because I had no idea what was going on for most of the episode. And like Boyd said, it's very soapy. And I'm not, I'm not anti-soap, as we know. But um, I just found the mixing of all of that stuff. I, I could never quite get my foot in in the world and know what was going on and know am I meant to be laughing at this bit or is it meant to be scary? Or it's, it is kind of high drama and maybe you just submit to that. But I, I didn't find it hugely compelling i have to say and maybe it's because i've missed six years worth and so it's really hard just to jump in and care about these people but um but yeah i think if if you are familiar with the world of the power then um i'm sure this is great for you but i think it's a really hard one to come at um with no kind of prior knowledge or not having engaged with any previous season Yes, I think that is entirely fair. My theory about it is, is that the, I think one of the reasons it's so successful and popular is is this weird mix of genres. I think I think oh. it's I think uh, yeah, I really do because it's so unpredictable. It's like what, what, from one moment to the next, as you say, those what you'd normally call lurches in tone. I think are what people mm. like about it. Because I was reading, I've been reading up, you know, other reviews. I think it's it, and it is its own thing. Yeah. It's definitely got a tone that wildly kind of unapologetic, sometimes funny, crass over-the-top tone, I think is what it makes it, the th- the phenomenon it is. I mean, it's very committed to those things, right? It's It doesn't... Yeah, it's really you know, committed, exactly. It, it's no no accident, yeah. yeah. It's no accident that some one minute you're laughing at some bloke being caught shagging his girl, a girl in the dorm, and the next minute there's high drama in, in the courtroom with the mum being accused of all kinds of things. It's it's That is its thing. That is the thing, isn't it? I often, as we've already discussed on the show, have issues with tone, but this is like, I couldn't work out. I thought this, like from reading the synopsis and the early set i thought oh okay is this is this a kind of like wire-esque in terms of like deep dive into sort of like criminal mm-hmm. life and, and looking at the justice system and like being quite hard-hitting is it going for realism and then i was like oh no it's it feels a bit shondaland to me like this feels like scandal like it's properly stupid like it's really soapy and, and the acting is all over the fucking shop like all over the shop like some of them I, i'm just not sure that they're in the same genre let alone the same show and no just absolutely not on any level just no <laughs> just no 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 <laughs> i no. knew you were gonna hate I it i really didn't like I it knew at you all were gonna hate it. um yeah. that is power book two ghost and that uh begins <laughs> starts does something turns up on stars play on the dis- on on the december 6th on the december 6th <laughs> so if you want it it's there um <laughs> Next up this week, we have Raised by Wolves, a show that I've been desperate to make Terry watch for quite some time, let me tell you. Now, 
while this has the same title as Catelyn Moran's Wolverhampton Council Estate show, which would very much be on brand for Terry, <laughs> mm-hmm. it is, in fact, Ridley Scott's utterly deranged and nigh-impenetrable hard sci-fi show about a pair of androids raising a brood of children on the planet Kepler-22b, which is not, I hasten to add, anywhere near the Midlands. Terry, do not keep me in suspense <laughs> one second longer. What did you think? Oh, God, I, I knew you were going to make me lead on this. And I watched the first, and I, I texted you last night and said I had to restart it seven times because <laughs> I kept pressing play and trying to watch it. And then, you know, like a pigeon would go past the window or or I'd hear the voice of a small child outside. I, I found it really hard to concentrate on this. I mean, right, let's start at the beginning, right? So, as you say, it's set on this planet sometime in the future. Um, Earth has been fucked by a war between atheists and believers. Um, And so it's kind of like an Adam and Eve story. You've got two androids, mother, Amanda Collin, who, by the way, is amazing. amazing, And father, (laughs) Abu Bakar Salim. And they basically turn up on this planet in the most ridiculous crash landing in a literally a tin can you have ever Wearing seen. Wearing penis helmets. And we will get onto the effects <laughs> and the actual production values of this thing in a minute. Um, and that was, you know, 37 pence really well spent. Um, and, and basically they go straight into breeding, which is involves no sex, as you'd imagine. And they have six kids. Uh, it's an atheist planet. That, that's the kind of aim of it. But it's I mean, a... It's a- yeah. It's an oh, it's a hostile. It's unlivable, and it's so unlivable that all the kids die. This happens quite quickly. So it's not a spoiler. All the kids die apart <laughs> one, right? So it's pretty grim. Um, and then you know, do do do. They discover they might not be the only refugees um, in that part of the universe, and there may be some religious fucking nutters coming over the horizon who want to take the child. Now, the show is the creation of Aaron Gusikowski, who who wrote Prisoners, which was the Hugh Jackman and, and Jake Gyllenhaal um, drama. But let's talk about the Ridliness, right? Because that is what it is all about. The first two episodes are directed by Ridley Scott. Mm. Um, he's an exec producer for the show. But, you know, and he hasn't, since his early career, and uh, I think a failed pilot, maybe less than a decade ago he hasn't worked especially not in a directing sense in television i think he was was ep on the good wife and on the terror obviously which we talked about on pilot before but they didn't necessarily feel ridley scott the riddliness this is riddled with riddliness is what i will say (laughs) so what do we have we have androids who may be sentient who bleed a white substance you've got a hostile world you've got a desolate bleached out landscape there's a very unsubtle thing happening with mothers and maternity um and we must talk about the production values so i read something which said it was expensive looking Mm. and whoever wrote that sentence needs to be taught the value of money (laughs) because it makes Doctor Who, you, James Dyer. This is none of this is true. You banging <laughs> you. fucking on about like, oh, Doctor Who looks so cheap. Car the papier sets. mache you push Daleks. On that wall, it'll fall over. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was like gobsmacked. I thought at first this was like a parody because the, the that spaceship or whatever it is they crash in on the first few scenes 
literally looks like a tin can that they're sat in. The costumes are ridiculous. I don't see that this is like this big flash, amazing <laughs> production values at all. Honestly, I was like, bring back like 1970s Doctor Who. Thank you. The writing, like the whole thing around androids and humanity and humour, none of which is original, let's be clear. There's a whole cringy bit where the where the dad and father is trying to tell a joke and what did the male magnet say to the female magnet? I was like, Oh god, make it stop. But Amanda <laughs> uh, let me say this for it though. Amanda Colin is amazing. So she is mother. And, you know, there's lots of like weird things about the way they grow the children and all of that. But she, I thought she was actually amazing in what was a really ridiculous, insane setup. I just thought she, she was the thing that I clung to throughout it. I thought she gave a really powerful performance. And as incredible and incredulous as I was about everything else happening on screen, she kind of anchored me because I actually really believed her when when yet another one of her kids dies. You really believe that grief and you believe that she can feel that. Um, but my fundamental issue with it, apart from the fact I didn't like it, was that I just don't think these aren't original ideas. This whole thing around binary nature of um, of religion and and atheism and humanity and feelings, all of that, and, and humans versus androids. I just don't feel like this is an original idea told in an interesting way or even made to look that good. See, I'm surprised. I know what you mean. I suppose, you saw the first one, right? Yes. Yeah, yeah, couldn't face any more than that. No. <laughs> no, I see. I don't think it looks cheap at all. I think it looks deliberately austere and Spartan, certainly early on. Um, you shaking your head. Like, no, no, sorry, no, I, I won't have, have it. But talk to me about that. Whatever vessel they were in, then are you telling me? That that was like you know when you were little and you used to get like um a corrugate <laughs> you'd have one of those corrugated um metal things and you turn it into a sled and you'd go down a massive hill on it. It was like they picked up some scrap and built a like a little kind of vehicle out of it. It has a minimalist aesthetic. I'll grant you that. <laughs> I, I think it's bad production design. Yeah, I think it's I like think. I think I think. Yeah, but I don't. Th- so I think it is. It's expensive. expensive. It's just, just they've misspent whoever, the money. Maybe. Like the cost- yeah. Those costumes, you mentioned the costumes, they're fucking ridiculous. Yeah, onesies. Like, why are this religious <laughs> cult wearing... No, the, the onesies are one thing. They don't make any sense either. It's them, the religious cult people arrive in these heavy, yeah. Oh, yeah. massive, heavy smock dress <laughs> ju- coat things <laughs> on this hot planet. Uh, why are they, uh, they are ludicrous, those costumes. I, so I don't think it's it's not necessarily cheap. It's just like weird decisions. But I don't mind it being Arion James. either, Jack. I like, you know, that austere yeah. kind of, you know, it's all... And, you know, there's no colour in in this we should say it's like it's like yeah, it's been it's, it's very monochromatic out. yeah it's, it's beige it's and it's gray and it's yeah you there is no and that i don't mind that but there are but to boyd's point it's like there are decisions made about what things look like that just don't seem it definitely doesn't yeah. look like the near yeah. future to me it looks like the 1970s weirdly I I know what you mean. So, just just uh, all cards on the table. I've watched all ten episodes of this. Oh my god! <laughs> I watched ten hours of it, and I there's a part of me. Did you do that because you had to, or because you wanted to? A little bit of both. I think so. I was sufficiently interested to watch ten hours of this and find out where it went. 
But at the end of having watched it, I slightly regret it. <laughs> because, <laughs> because while I wanted to see where it went, I'm not entirely happy with where it went. And the thing you have to say about this show is it's worthy, it's ponderous, it's cerebral, it's impenetrable, it's nonsensical, it's introspective, it's tries to be philosophical it's pretentious it's rambling it's sometimes surprising it's occasionally ridiculous it's quite self-important it's weirdly compelling it's strikingly beautiful at times and it's sometimes audacious but it's utterly utterly mad and from the first episode i don't think you even get how mad it is it gets increasingly fucking deranged as it goes along so it's just this constant procession of what the actual fuck moments like it's just and i can't because it's spoilers i can't even explain any of them to you but there are flying space worms and a masked space rapist and evil magic eyes and flying golden statues and shouts that liquefy people oh and radioactive cucumbers like there is a lot going on in this show and none of it makes any sense and but you're just you're just watching going i just i just want to know what happens next because i just could not predict this if my life depended on it so you have these two you know atheist androids and then you've got these the Mithraics who turn up, Travis Fimmel and Neve Algar turn up as kind of with the, with this group of religious zealots. And then it it just goes all over the place. Like it tries to talk about questions around AI and religion and humanity and all of that stuff. But which as you say isn't particularly new, Terry. But no, it, you know, I, no. And it's not it's not. And it's one of these things where it's hard sci-fi in part it's hard sci-fi in that it attempts to be very austere and cerebral and impenetrable and quite a you know obtuse and just you know a little bit hard to get your head around but they don't have that kind of slavish adherence to you know physics and engineering and realism logic. and logic you know which hard sci-fi traditionally does so yeah. it doesn't necessarily fit together brilliantly i Did really it. like the dynamic between mother and father i think amanda collin is extraordinary as this kind of because the, the role she plays the android she plays and it's not explained at all well like when there were revelations about the nature of the android she plays i had to rewind a whole section of the episode and rewatch it and i was like did i miss something and i was like oh no they just don't don't fucking explain it. Uh, but you get you get there in the end. Like you do play catch up eventually. But you know, it's interesting the dynamic between the it's a very strange dynamic they've got between them, which kind of sort of transcends AI versus humanity. And I really liked that. And it gets maybe slightly less compelling as it goes, but but that's quite fun. As as Boyd said, like it's it's weird when the Mithraics turn up and but there's some interesting flashback episodes, but I think the biggest problem with this is that you've got some great actors doing some interesting things with fun character dynamics, but the story tries to be, you know, mystery-based. It's trying to draw you in with, oh, what's going to happen? But increasingly, the things they do show you become more and more stupid. That by the time you end, you get to the final episode of this, and it has been renewed for a second season. There will be a second season of Rose by Wolves. I'm not sure I'm going to watch it because I'm I'm a little bit curious to see where they go. But that is what dragged me through 10 hours of this. And mm. at the end of it, I feel like I've been cheated out of 10 hours. So I don't know that I want to know where this goes now because it's just so deranged. And it feels like they're just writing it to try and make it, to try and drag you from one episode to the next. And you're only just making it. And I just, yeah. So do I hate it? No. Do I think it's good? Kind of. Do I recommend you spend 10 hours watching it? I just think with with no, a show on. that deals with these kind of films, and this is and sci-fi, you know, you you'd be better placed to talk 
about this than me, James, but my perception is that sci-fi has always been an interesting lens through which to look at current yes. kind of socioeconomic problems. And, and it's, it's the ability to create weird and wonderful and wild worlds that we are yet to experience through which like, to like the west world through which to challenge these things and i just think <laughs> i think i think the west world for example felt like it was interrogating quite new and fresh and mm. and and these ideas that have been around for a long time taking a slightly different look at them this felt like the same themes being interrogated in the same way by the same people without it feeling in any way kind of um, relevant or resonant or interesting or I don't know. I just I, I think I expected more. It just doesn't it doesn't make any sense is, is, is my problem with it. I, 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 I'm fully open. I was really looking forward to it. And I just think that why, why are they androids? Like what? <laughs> It doesn't make any sense to me that they're androids. So they're androids who, sheep, by the way, can do anything. I mean, by the end of the first episode, she literally has the power to do anything. More or less. I'm not yeah. going to get into the specifics. More or less, but you yeah. know what I mean. Where, what, and why? How? Why? I don't, I, I don't understand what thematically you get from the fact that they're androids because who cares if they're atheists of course they're atheists they're fucking androids <laughs> and yet at the same time they seem to have they seem to have the capacity for emotion at one point she's crying yeah. the yeah. milky yeah. tears why how so it doesn't why not just make them humans that are then uh, that are atheists then you'd care about them more and you'd care about the fact that they're on they're on attack from various religious psychopaths but as it is it doesn't make any sense to their androids and i feel like there must have been behind the scenes some discussion with the creator where they're going should we make them androids should we make them androids does it make any sense does anyone did any executive at any point put in the notes you know why are they crying what how is that happening well, they're just fucking humans you know, it's it does it's completely all over the place. That whole concept. So for me, it's like if a whole show, if a whole world, if a whole universe is rests on something that makes no sense whatsoever, either thematically, storytelling, logically, what is the fucking point of it? So I was like, I mean, it's fine. The other thing about it is, I think the really I watched episode the, both of these Ridley Scott episodes, and they do remind you that sometimes master of cinema as Ridley Scott is. Sometimes he can really get the pacing wrong. I think this was like it's slow very ponderous. to begin mm. with, really ponderous, and then suddenly it speeds up. At the end of episode one, like mm. the last fifty minutes, are helter skelter, like craziness, like violent, ultra violent, scary. You talked about it being grey and and um, a brown. It gets the the blood. Yeah. I mean, is extraordinary in the end. Um, but it's just it does it's complete roller coaster the pace not in a good way and I think that's a Ridley Scott issue I have to say because some of his films are like that where you know like the the first at half hour of some of his films are incredibly slow you're like get off, get the fuck on with it but in the TV context that ends up being a bit weird and mm. unfortunate I think the best thing about it is Amanda Con is phenomenal as you say really interesting but her character does makes no sense whatsoever I, I you know I'm like. Uh, there are bits of it. It is such a mishmash, and it is the kind of thing I really like. And I like the weirdness and all of that. But it's got to make some. It's got to have some kind of logic to him. And for me, it just doesn't. I was. I just couldn't get on with the fact that it makes no fucking sense. See, I could explain it to you, Boyd. But frankly, if I had to sit through it all, so do you. So I'm not going to. I uh, really. So wait a minute. If that, okay, well, I'm I'm tempted to sit through more of it. If they are going to explain how she gets how the how the mother gets all yeah, her yeah, powers, yeah, that is all explained. Why she's an android yeah. in Christ. There's, there's a there's do, a flashback episode. You see all the origin stuff. Like, you do get to a 
all of that. But okay. the thing with this is like, all it feels right. a bit like if Prometheus had been 10 hours long, <laughs> that probably gives you yeah. a close approximation of what this, this show is. Yeah. I mean, you're right. That's a good point because how misguided are those alien prequel, sequely things that we've had but recently? I liked I mean, Prometheus someone... because I liked that Scott was mm. exploring this weird, hard sci-fi. Again, it felt... And I, the only my biggest uh, criticism with Prometheus was that it was trying to be an alien prequel. I'm like, it should have been its own thing and it would have been far more interesting for right. it. And I think that's almost what he's tried to do here. But I just think that, you know, uh, bear in mind, I guess I say him, this is not really Scott's, you know, he's directed, he's involved, but it's, this is Aaron Gazakowski's show, you know. Um, but... And and I had to go when I finished episode ten. This I had to go online and read Gazakowski an interview with him talking about the finale because I was like, I just at this point even I'm like, what the hell is going on? So I had to read up on it and it, it you know and and I'm reading about what he has planned for season two, which I'm not going to be watching, but um, it's a lot. The thing I should say is I think Aaron Gusakowski, um Prisoners, I think, is one of my favorite films. It's one, I think it's one of the most underrated. Good, yeah. apps. That yeah. script, his script for that film is fucking good. incredible. That D- Denis Villeneuve film. So the fact that this script is why I've seen so far, <laughs> not incredible. As Terry pointed out, the jokey bits are excruciating. That's, that's, it's yeah, a real... that's a character quirk. Father's yeah. character, he, corny jokes are his thing. But it's hmm. but you're not but you're not meant to like. They made me cringe at the entire thing. I didn't be. I wasn't like, oh, that's character work. I was like, stop writing and getting people to say it. Well, Terry's yeah. show of the year, Raised by Wolves, which aired <laughs> in the US on HBO earlier this year, arrives on Sky Atlantic uh, on Saturday, December the 5th at 9 p.m. Speaking of Sky Atlantic, also arriving on Sky Atlantic, but actually next week is Tin Star, the third season of Tin Star, otherwise known as Tin Star Liverpool. Now, what began as a fish-out-of-water show in which a former Met detective takes up a position as chief of police in the Canadian Rockies has somehow, over the course of two seasons, become a show in which Tim Roth and his wife and daughter rampage around Liverpool killing Scouse gangsters. (laughs) I honestly can't say how we got here, but there it is. Now, Boyd, I have seen literally no episodes of this show bar the one I watched today, so I had no earthly idea what the hell was going oh, on. Oh, really? I thought we reviewed season two. Yeah, but two I didn't watch it. Some um, oh, <laughs> so course. perhaps you Classic. can shed Classic a little James. light Classic James. on this one for me. It was very, very confusing. Also, because it doesn't have a linear timeline. Like, it skips around to make it even more confusing. And I will say, the previously yeah. on Tin Star did a lot of heavy lifting. Yeah, it was like a battle of the recaps, wasn't it? <laughs> yeah, it really week? was. Because the ghost one was pretty epic and then the tin star one that goes on for about half the episodes about 20 minutes long but fair enough so this is a show that start when it started out season one i really liked it remember in 2017 created by rowan joffe tim roth so tim roth's character is this former undercover police detective who ends up becoming the um sheriff or police chief of a small town in the canadian rockies and so it was like a fish out of water um, drama. It had the kind of crime mystery element because it very, had an incredibly impactful opening scene where uh, one of his kids was shot in the car that he's driving. Then it flashes back. It did. It did do the cliche structure thing that I bang on about every week. But back then, like in 2017, it didn't seem that cliched. It was kind of like fairly acceptable thing. It had lots. It had Christina Hendricks was a really interesting character, local kind of um, PR lady for a for a kind of exploitative oil company. It, so it was like about. 
exploitation. It was about fish out of water. It was about this family that had been horrendously marked by grief and how they dealt with that. Um, Genevieve O'Reilly as his wife was brilliant. Abigail Laurie as the daughter, coping with all of that. Then you had this weird character coming in who was an associate from his past who suddenly arrives to kind of like wants to kill them all for revenge reasons. But it was... Do you know what I really liked that first season? And I think it was it was beautifully made. It had that the the the, the um the location in Canada was fantastic. It really kind of you know benefited from that. Season two, which I remember we reviewed it, had a really had a really kind of change of a change of location, but was still very well made. I did not carry on watching it, I have to admit, after I think we reviewed, you know, I watched the first couple of episodes and then I think it started I started to care less about the characters and it became tricksy. It had a lot of tricksy things going on with versions of him when he was drinking and versions of him when he wasn't drinking, like a split mm. personality thing that I found a bit gimmicky and irritating. Um, now we're back in this series, and as you say, so this the premise of this now is that at the end of the last series, the three of them, mother, father, and daughter, agree to go their separate ways and reunite in Liverpool, which is where the family all started. And kind of have revenge on the people who ruined basically their lives to start with. So there's a lot of like, so there's literally a list. They actually have a list of people who have kind of in in Liverpool they're going to kill between them, um, in various different ways. And um, the one of them is the uh, uh, one you know there, there's the involvement of all kinds of new characters. Um, and so it's kind of like. It's a. It couldn't be more of a different change of location. Although actually, lots of shows are filmed in Liverpool because it is an incredibly photogenic place. And and and, and it's a show that still technically, I think, the way it's directed and put together and shot is still really interesting. It's bold and all of that. But you know, my problem with it now is, I just don't buy any of it at all. Um, a little bit like um, Raised by Walls. But for me, this the problem with this is I think they're now as a as a creative unit. It feels like it's all being made in in a kind of almost in quotes in a very self aware way. Like there's loads of montages to ironic musical choices, which is one of my pet peeves at the moment. Um, it's kind of there's a kind of Tarantino esque tone to it of like oh, you know aren't we being violent and um, arch and Tim Roth slightly enjoying himself too much <laughs> is this character who's like very cool. You know I'm gonna order. Th- there's a scene in a bar where there's a massive fight takes place and he's there calmly and it, it feels a bit it feels a bit smug and false the tone of it to me it's like it feels like people wanting to make a really cool you know um crime drama tv show and we're going to make it we're going to make it really we're going to film it brilliantly and it's going to be directed we're going to direct the shit out of it and act the shit out of it but i don't buy it i don't believe in it anymore at all and i kind of did believe the first series i think it it trod the line the first series of doing that and, and making it believable and authentic and real now I'm just like, they're just having fun. They're having a great time. I think everyone involved is having a good time. I'm not sure I am as a viewer. <laughs> I see, funnily enough, and I, like I say, I had the first clue what was going on. I really enjoyed it for all the things, all the reasons I think you didn't like it. I thought it was quite <laughs> arch and I thought it was very smug and I thought Tim Roth was having loads of fun and I really liked his sort of like slightly cockney, really sort of casual, like what I tell you about coming around corners, that's going to sting, you know. And like someone goes, this is D.I. Hunt and he goes, rhymes with? And I thought, well, that's instantly funny. Um, there's the least convincing bar fight in history there is a delightfully unexpected Spice Girls karaoke sequence but I quite like the idea that this guy and his wife and his daughter these 
badass guy just going around like terrorizing these Liverpudlian gangsters and just raising hell. Didn't understand who anyone was. Didn't understand what was going on. But Tim Roth, I found quite watchable and I liked his cocky character. So I, it's possible I will watch Tin Star from the beginning at some point in my life. I can't promise it. But uh, I, I enjoyed I enjoyed this more than I thought I would not understanding anything okay. about it and i thought <laughs> the press conference scene in particular was uh, was quite fun uh terry what did you think of it so do you know what i've watched this is i think the third episode of tin star that i've ever seen and when i've watched previous episodes and i've just kind of caught them randomly i always end up really enjoying them the reason i've never watched it properly i think is because it is built on all of those classic tropes and it doesn't do it kind of quite well enough for me. So I had the exact same things that boys are saying. So that fucking juxtaposition of the chirpy, happy, inappropriate music with the criminal enterprise and the scenes of violence, in this case, because it's Liverpool, still a black and something tells me open bracket, something's going to happen tonight, close bracket. And so you've got all of those things which are used in and all of the same references Boyd gave. And this is obviously not even a new thing. You know, this is the kind of Tarantino, the arch, the reference points, you know. So that kind of bugged me. And I think that's why I've never come back to it and never actually committed to watching full seasons is there are people just doing this better, slicker, cooler um, I do love the chemistry between Roth and Genevieve O'Reilly and Abigail Laurie. I think I do think there's a little bit of magic between the three of them. And I did think when I think it was you, James, who said to me, "Oh, Tin Star," and this time it's set in Liverpool. I was like, "What the <laughs> fuck? How can you say it in Liverpool?" Because no offense to the people of Liverpool, but part of the the kind of um, pull with Tin Star was always the landscapes and how cool it looked. But actually, I think it really worked. There was something really lovely about them going home and and having them on the streets of Liverpool. So I kind of sit in between the two of you because I definitely enjoyed it. I watched it and I had a blast. It feels quite old hat. There's loads of people doing it better. Um, It's not particularly original. It is incredibly pleased with itself. But it's kind of, if I had a spare afternoon and my remote control broke and it came on the telly (laughs) and it was either watching this or looking at the pigeon out the window, I'd definitely watch this. Well, that's a ringing endorsement (laughs) from Terry White. See if they'll put that in Radio Times for you. (laughs) One for the poster. One for the poster. Uh, Anyway, Tin Star arrives on Sky Atlantic on Thursday, December the 10th at 9pm, so not for another week. What would be our pick of the week? It's a tough one, isn't it? Wow. It's a See, tough I one. have to say Raised um, by Wolves because I watched 10 hours of it. So I guess by dint of the fact that I sunk so much time into it, that's obviously my pick Tins, of the week, I mean, even if I'm not entirely Tinstar, sure I recommend it. Tinstar just beats had more looking fun at with the Tinstar. pigeon. Yeah. I, I had I had more fun with Tinstar. Yeah, God, it's a tough one. I think Maze by Wolves. I think I just I, I think I'd more I have slightly more tendency to watch more of that than Tinstar. Oh, okay, yeah. all right. Well, there you go. I don't know if that's helped anyone. But let's get <laughs> on to the Banshee segment this week. Let's do some really quick thirty-second Banshees uh, because we are running long, and I've got to edit this today. So uh, I'm going to kick off by saying 2017 six. Uh, Six, of course, being the show that first aired on, I think, the History Channel. Uh, And this is based on SEAL Team Six, and it starred Walton Goggins. And it was the lives of the members of SEAL Team Six, which is one of the U.S. uh, Armed Forces' kind of main 
counterterrorism units. Uh, Goggins was great. There was lots of fun intrigue in it. And then Olivia Munn turned up for season two, had a second season, which happened in 2008, as I recall. Uh, I have not finished that, but I'm going to watch it at some point. I liked this show. I enjoyed it to the extent that I watched the whole of season one. I don't actually remember all that much else about it. So that's my Banshee. It is six. Amazing. It's a show I've seen but can't really quite remember, but seem to recall I quite enjoyed it. You might too. Right, I'll go next. Um, I want to Banshee Path, uh, which is on Amazon Prime. Now, this is what Aaron Paul did, I think, uh, straight after Breaking Bad. He plays a guy um, called Eddie who is in a cult, which may or may not be a little bit Scientology. His wife is played by Michelle Monaghan. Um, uh, the cult is called mayorism and the guy who leads the call is played by Hugh Dancy who also happens to be his wife's ex-boyfriend um uh, any I'm sure any likeness between him and David Miscovich is entirely accidental <laughs> and non-deliberate it's really about the three of them their relationship being in this um cult or religious movement um as they call it and I watched the first season and it's Kind of okay. <laughs> kind of okay. There we go. Another ringing endorsement. When you when you when you first said the title, I was like, "What path? It the path? The path? Path? path. Is what, yeah. It's path. Yeah. The, path. So path Terry path. this week has recommended <laughs> the West World and Path. <laughs> <laughs> ah, the path. Oh, I understand. The path. Sorry, darling. Sorry yes. for, for you Southerners and middle class people. Yeah. I would like to recommend <laughs> the path, which is on Amazon Prime. Except you're That's not really it. recommending it, but <laughs> yeah. But I, I think I really like that got, show. It yeah, got when it started, a bit of a yeah, kick in, but it, it had a bit of a leftovers vibe to it. Yeah. Um, and I think yeah. I think him and um, Michelle Monaghan, I think they were great together. And that yeah. threesome, which yeah. not an actual threesome, just to clarify, with yeah. Hugh Dancy, I think they had lovely chemistry. Don't know why I didn't keep watching it. I think if you're obsessed with Scientology as I am, it, it was really mm. interesting. Yeah, because it's and he a, is a so bit obviously... David Miscavige in the. Oh God, hundred yeah. percent. Yeah, yeah, massively. Um, I'm doing Yonderland, um, which um, I was reminded of because of Ghosts. I mentioned it's Christmas special coming up. The team that created Ghosts, uh, covered in the uh, Empire Spoiler special, um, wrote Yonderland, and there were three series of it. It went out on Sky One um, in 2013 to 2016. It had all the hallmarks of their brilliant work on horrible histories and ghosts. And um, it was a really fun, wacky, clever, smart, family-friendly um, fantasy sitcom, basically, in its own completely crazy world. Like It, had, it was just making fun. It was like a pastiche of various fantasy ideas, but in a really entertaining, fun way. And it was kind of, it was it was really visually uh, uh, brilliant as well. And it was really good. This is 100% a really show good. I would hate, isn't it? It's a fantasy show that Probably, in no way yeah. takes itself seriously. I can't be dealing with that. <laughs> well, yeah, but maybe if you got over yourself, you'd enjoy it. <laughs> we'll see. Seems yeah. doubtful. Uh, see. Well, yeah. That is it for the last Pilot TV podcast of November. We are heading into the home stretch now. Christmas is coming, the goose is getting fat, and The Expanse Season 5 is but two weeks away. So if you're as excited as Terry is for this show's triumphant return, then do head over to Apple Podcasts and leave us a five protomolecule rating. Uh, we are today, as ever, on social media, at James C. Dyer, at Terry underscore White, and at Boyd Hilton. Do join us next week for more small screen shenanigans when I think 
think we may unveil our definitive top 20 shows of the year. So brace yourselves for a review of the year special. Uh, be sure to tune in then to find out whether I'm able to get Picard into the top five. Pilot out.